And let's pray for God's help as we begin looking at those verses. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, these words, this account of what you did 2,000 years ago is written for us uh, to teach us, to help us. And Father, pray that you'd be present by your spirit now and that you would strengthen and encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. At the... um, the BBC carol service, they come here for a carol service. Actually, this was the one a year ago. Uh, the director general uh, met me on the way out, shook my hand and said, of course, we are in the same business, aren't we, you and I? It's quite an idea, isn't it? You know, the, the head of the BBC, uh, BBC and All Souls, we are, we're close neighbours, good neighbours. But um, Tim Davey thinks that we are in the same business. And actually, theologically, he is right. I think he's more right than he realizes. Christianity is news. Uh, Christianity is news. That is what gospel means. Something earth-shattering happened when Jesus came to earth. And I need to tell you all about it. That is what we're about. So two news organizations. Uh, And... um, you know, what he said, it's kind of a lovely, kind thing for him to say over a mince pie and a, and a glass of mulled wine. But um, I wonder, in the, the cold light of a new year, um, what do you think of the comparison? It's partnership month here at All Souls, but would you rather be a partner of the BBC or a partner here? Is it a, a comparison where we... Um, we hold up. What do you think? Um, let me just give you three areas, um, and they'll be relevant later on. Slightly painful first one, but just, um, you know, no, 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 let's not go there yet. Um, to, three areas. Um, let's just think about the, um, the, the talent roster, if I can put it like that. Um, you know, just occasionally somebody comes to work for us from the BBC or vice versa, um, but really we're, we're not in the same league, are we? We're not, um, you know, Gary Lineker and Zoe Ball or Fiona Bruce here. Uh, well, think about the, um, the organization. So um, they've got their challenges with the, the license fee over there. But if you look at the, um, the declining and disappearing Church of England, you'd think there's no comparison to the, um, the globally dominant BBC. Or most important, think about the message. You know, the BBC is trusted all over the world. Uh, particularly when disaster strikes, as in 2023, uh, influencing and shaping the thought life of hundreds of millions, when our message feels increasingly unwelcome, maybe even dangerous. I think surely secular London wants to hear from the BBC and not from the church. It's easy to think that the Christian church is finished and dying, and on its way out. And then it's easy to make um, sort of self-preservation decisions. You know, if our message is not welcome, if our message might get us into trouble, well, then maybe we had better stay in here in 2023. Maybe we'd better, sorry, 24. Maybe we'd better stay quiet and be safe. Now that. Uh, All of that, that is obviously a self-defeating story, isn't it? For an organization in the news business, keep quiet and tell no one. That is not going to work. Self-defeating and also gloriously untrue. 
Um, I, I wonder, as I said it, it, it weighs on us. We, we sort of believe it, we think it. Maybe people are saying that to us all the time. Maybe even you have decided in 2024 you will keep quiet at work uh, because it feels like the message is unwelcome. But that message is gloriously not true. Um, not true that no one wants to hear from a church. Do you know which is the most religious town in the UK? Um, would you think it was somewhere, you know, somewhere old-fashioned and pretty out in the countryside? Would you think it was Froome, maybe, or Chipping Norton, somewhere like that? Um, it's not. It's London. A higher percentage pray in London than anywhere else. They go to church or to synagogue or to mosque or to temple. In 2020, 62% of London identifies as religious compared to only 53% in the rest of Britain. Or um, maybe would you guess, have you been told that the church in London was growing or shrinking? Do you know, consistently over decades, church attendance in London has grown. And not by small amounts. So 15% growth between 91 and 2007. 16% growth between 2005 and 2012. Um, You won't see it if you only go to historic, mainly white churches. Um, But it's there. Largely because London is more like the rest of the world than it is like the rest of the UK. And the story in the rest of the world is about growing numbers of Christians. 600 million Christians worldwide in 1910, and now three times as many 100 years later or 100 years in 2010. The self-defeating story is not true, uh, even in London. And actually, we're in Acts chapter 13, chapter 14 over the next four weeks, just to put some, uh, some deep history onto that. Acts 13, it is the beginning of the Gentile mission, the beginning of going to tell people without a Jewish background about Jesus, back when they did not know whether that would actually work, uh, back when they weren't sure whether that was a good idea, telling Gentiles about the Jewish Messiah, asking the world to become Christian. So page 1107, Have a look down. I want to just skim through the the basic story, and then uh, we're going to knock three ideas on the head for this week as the beginning of this series. So page 1107, and chapter 12 ends with Barnabas and Saul coming home from Jerusalem. You can see just uh, on the facing page that they were sent there with famine relief to help the brothers and sisters in Judea. Um, They come home to Antioch, but then just three verses later, they're on the way to Cyprus with this crazy idea that maybe the mainstream Roman world will be interested in Jesus. And they work their way across the islands to the capital, to Paphos, where they hit trouble. Verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Oh dear. Um, the proconsul, that is a, um, he's a proper Roman aristocrat. He is a direct servant of the emperor in Rome. 
His word is law on Cyprus. And one of his attendants is the antidote to the gospel. Uh, this guy, Bar-Jesus, he has the same Jewish expertise and background as Saul and Barnabas, but he is into magic. He's a sorcerer. Um, so it's like the, the worst kind of missed opportunity. Sergius Paulus, he is willing to look outside of official Roman religion, but this guy, Bar-Jesus, has got there first, before the real Jesus, uh, with the other option, with magic. And they are friends And presumably, this is going to go really badly. Keep reading. Verse 7, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So he wants to hear them out, and there is an enormous conflict. Verse 8, but Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. And you think, presumably... This is going to go really badly. Uh, Maybe go home to Antioch and give up. But then verse 9, Saul, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Saul and Barnabas, they are not on their own. Uh, They are there with the Holy Spirit's help. And um, Paul delivers what you might call um, a a straightforward reply. It's um, it's fairly non-English, isn't it? Uh, Child of the devil. Uh, deceit, trickery, will you never stop? And now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to go blind for a time. And he does, uh, which I think surprised him. Uh, and the proconsul believes, which I think surprises us as readers. And actually, you get the same surprising summary in verse 12 as you sometimes get in the Gospels about Jesus. So um, that day in Paphos, there's been some talking. Uh, Paul talked about the gospel. Uh, and then there has been an absolutely inexplicable, miraculous proof of the divine power of God. A man has been struck blind. Uh, which of those two things would you expect Sergius Paulus to be amazed about? Uh, verse 12, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Uh, What happened is important, but what he remembers is the words, and he believes them. And the the Gentile mission is off to an incredible start. Okay, that's our story for tonight. It's a strange little episode, a dramatic 12 verses kicking off the new section in Acts. And Luke, the author, he uses it to set the pattern for the whole life of the church from then until now. Because actually what they do and who they are as human beings is nothing very remarkable, is it? Nothing very special to um, compare with the BBC. In verses 1 to 3, four blokes stump up a ferry ticket for one of their mates and two of his other friends. And then all they do um, for most of the time is they speak. Proclaim the word, hear the words, the teaching about the Lord's. And they are up against the, the whole might of Rome and up against the spiritual forces of magic and up against all of the competing powerful philosophies and religions that hold Roman society together. And yet, this is on Cyprus like the first pebble 
in an avalanche. As the gospel message steps outside of the Jewish world and into the Gentile world, uh, and still today, billions of people. Uh, I've got three headings for us in 2024. Uh, three things I said to sort of knock on the head. Three things we might be thinking to make us hide in church in 2024 and tell no one our good news in 2024. There are three points of comparison to the BBC from earlier. So first one, the, the talent looks pretty thin. Um, Paul is just an instrument. Um, two, Antioch, um, the four blokes named in verse one and the others there with them, they're just a church. And then third, the, the news, the message. It's just a, just a word. How much good is that going to do? So let's look at each one of those in turn. I'm just an instrument. The, the three instruments are Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. Um, we meet them in 12 verse 25. And um, I don't want to, you know, do them down too much. Um, they are talented, gifted people. Paul, he had an extraordinary cross-cultural love. He is a, a speaker and a thinker and a writer of huge energy. Barnabas was named the son of encouragement. Mark later on wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, so, you know, these are, are talented people, but they are also weak and flawed and full of problems like all the rest of us. Um, Mark gives up in verse 13, uh, gives up and goes home. He's had enough. And the next time they set out, uh, Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance and Paul doesn't. And it's sore enough that Barnabas and Paul fall out and cannot work together. And even just within our verses, there are sort of fascinating little reminders about Paul here. So in this story, there are two people in the story called Mr. S. Paul. Uh, Two of them. One of them is the Roman proconsul, Sergius Paulus, and the other is Saul, who was also called Paul, we're told in verse 9, and actually is called Paul from this point on through all of the book of Acts. Um, Why mention that here? I think maybe a reminder of what Saul was like only 10 years or so ago. Uh, Saul, who describes himself as the worst of sinners because he persecuted the church. And actually, even what happens in the event, so that the blinding of this sorcerer, that is just like something that happens to only one other person in the book of Acts. It's what happened to Saul when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in chapter 9. And Jesus had to ask him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But um, verse 2, the church worshipping and fasting, praying, and the Holy Spirit tells them through the prophets and teachers, set apart Barnabas and Saul for this work. Just these two quite flawed people. And it looks like um, maybe they're not sure. Certainly there's a lot more that goes on in verse 3. They fast and they pray some more and then they set them apart by laying hands on them and send them off. Um, They're just human beings. But look at the comparison between verse 3 and verse 4. Did you notice that as Rob read it? Verse 3, who sent them? It was the church in Antioch. It was these four people and their church. Verse 4, who sent them? 
Actually, it was sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, uh, by God. And in Acts, that's not a a new idea. I want to show you, um, this is a quote from chapter 9. In fact, it's from while while Saul is still blind. Uh, Ananias is told to go and pray for him and told this man, chapter 9, verse 15, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to all the people of Israel. So Saul, he is just an instrument, um, and not even a, you know, a really expensive guitar or whatever we've got behind me here, um, but he is my chosen instrument, says God in 9 verse 15. In 13 verse 2, the Holy Spirit says, for the work to which I have called them to proclaim my name, to the Gentiles and their kings, even their proconsuls. Uh, it's a reminder that the human story in Acts, but also in 2024 in London, it is not really the human story at all, or not only the human story. I want you to please turn to Acts chapter 1. So turn back to the beginning of the book. Page 1092. And uh, that first verse tells us that normally we call this book by the wrong name. We normally call it the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, when actually in the book of Acts there is one hero, and it's not the one we would think normally. It's not uh, Peter, it's not Paul. 1 verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. See the implication? The second book is all about everything that Jesus did next, after he'd been taken up. This is the acts of Jesus, the Jesus who is the hero. His plan, his plan's there in 1 verse 8. His plan is that God's power will uh, arrive. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. That's the bit we've done by Acts chapter 13 and to the ends of the earth. That's the bit we're just beginning. And the same Jesus who was active then, uh, who was with Saul when he stood up and challenged the uh, magician in the court of the most powerful man for hundreds of miles, his friend, and said, no, you don't. Uh, The Spirit was with him. As the Spirit would be with you, wherever you will be in three hours' time, uh, wherever you will be in 15 hours' time, uh, wherever, whatever, you know, maybe it's Thursday night, you'll meet the people you're most scared to tell people about Jesus. Wherever you will be, uh, Jesus, the acts of Jesus are still going on. Uh, And we are there with him, not just a human story. The same Jesus with us by his spirit now. Uh, Who'd have thought? Just an instrument. Just this man called Saul. And yet, the gospel is unstoppable. Okay, second one. Uh, Just a church. Um, Which is what you might think about all souls, isn't it? In 2024, just a church. Uh, just a collection of, you know, leftover people who haven't quite yet got the, um, the secular memo or the 21st century progressive memo. Uh, just a collection of people. And um, what could we do? 
Um, well, let me show you where Antioch is. Um, annoyingly for us, frustratingly, there are two Antiochs in one chapter. Um, and the one we're talking about is where the arrows begin. So on the right over there, um, it's a bit like um, there are two Glasgow's, do you know, in the world? There might be more than two. Uh, one of them is the capital of a large and important country, Scotland. And the other one is in Montana and has a population of 3,202. Okay, so uh, the one we start in is Antioch, the big important city, uh, the third city in the empire by population, um, the centre of trade links from east to west and north to south, um, one of the places on the Mediterranean where there was a big collection of Greek-speaking Jewish people, which is important because persecuted Christians are driven out of Jerusalem And so one of the first places they go is to stay with auntie and uncle or uh, granddad in Antioch. And there, there are amazing conversions as they speak. And even they speak to some Greeks, uh, probably um, synagogue attending Greeks. But look in chapter 13, if you're still in uh, in chapter 1, turn back to chapter 13, and see what we have in Antioch. So They've become Christians, there's a church there, and uh, it's quite an amazing place. There are um, five of them named as the sort of principal Bible teachers here, um, and the range gives you the, the mix. We've got Barnabas, who goes on the trip with Saul. He is a Levite, he's Jewish, uh, he's from Cyprus, in fact. Uh, we have Saul. Uh, who's been helping him out, who is a Pharisee from Tarsus, just down the coast. There is Simeon and Lucius, um, who we don't know about from elsewhere, but we assume are African in background. Uh, one of them is called Niger, uh, which means black, so presumably there was another well-known Simeon in the church who wasn't black, so you had to give one the nickname. Uh, and then Lucius is from modern-day Libya. And then uh, the chapter before, the, the big baddie was a guy called Herod Agrippa. And here you have a close friend of his uncle, uh, Manaean. Um, and these are the sort of leadership team of this house church in Antioch. Um, it's a, a world city full of people from all over the world with different backgrounds. But it's just a church. And what they do really is just to pray, verse 2, worshipping the Lord and fasting, Uh, verse 3, so after they had fasted and prayed, uh, really all they do is they pray, and we're not told what they were praying, I wonder, um, but what will you pray in 2024? Um, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 tells you what Jesus is doing between now and the time we'll see him again. Uh, he is sending power through his Holy Spirit so that people could be his witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what he's doing. Um, so shall we pray for that? wonder if they were praying that in Antioch. Please, would people become Christians here in Antioch? Please, maybe in the, the villages around, would people become Christians? Uh, do we pray small prayers or big prayers again? We're not told, were they praying for the whole Gentile world to become Christians? Maybe not. Uh, But while they were praying, God said, why not send Barnabas and Saul? That's all they do. They pray and they send. Uh, They have a whip round for a ferry ticket uh, to Cyprus and a bit more maybe. And just imagine if they hadn't done that. 
Um, remember, this is a, you know, they, the church started by people who fled persecution in Jerusalem. Uh, maybe they've now finally got their lives sorted out. They've got a safe place to be. Uh, settled down in Antioch, it's okay here. Uh, what if they'd said, that's, you know, that's enough for the gospel, far enough for it to spread. Uh, we're gonna, you know, look at ourselves, look after ourselves, be a good church here. Uh, stay in safety. But through them, there is this avalanche, this earthquake. Uh, Paul goes back to Antioch at the end of each journey. We'll see that at the end of chapter 14. He goes back to report how it went. And um, the, the role that this just a church had uh, in the spread of the gospel all around the world, even to here, even to the country that you're from, is extraordinary. Just a church. And we need to be very careful making comparisons between Antioch and us because uh, they are one of the three great churches in the early church. Uh, if you're from an Armenian background or a Russian background or a Syrian background, uh, you're slightly horrified I'm even going here probably. But um, they were probably smaller than us, the church in Antioch, probably fewer of them. Uh, they were very diverse culturally, but probably less diverse than we are, probably fewer languages spoken in the room when they met than in this room now, uh, fewer links to fewer places than we have now, um, probably less well-resourced than us. Hard to tell, Manet, and um, probably, if in fact he is Herod's foster brother, he's probably got um, some resources behind him. Uh, but we have uh, a lot uh, that we share together as partners. Acts is the book of four global cities, really. Uh, Jerusalem and Antioch and Ephesus and Rome. And Luke's point seems to be to copy them. And, and they were centers of sending out the message of Jesus. Uh, they gave themselves to that. London is a global city. People come here from all over the world. And I don't know if you've, you've seen the news um, that we are, um, we're now able to tell you that we have appointed uh, Wanyeki Mahieni to the staff team. Do people know that? Have you seen the email for that? Uh, so Wanyeki, um, well known here. Uh, I first met him when he was working with students in London as one of the, the Christian Union workers. Um, he worked at All Souls. Uh, on staff, uh, particularly involved in what is now Roots. Uh, he's been in Kenya uh, training uh, young preachers and ministers. Um, when he said he was coming home to London, um, I asked, begged uh, him, would he think about coming and doing that here? Uh, would he think about uh, raising up, particularly from backgrounds less represented in our leadership and in um, leadership more generally in the church in the UK. Uh, get to know people, work with them, encourage them, uh, remind them that they're gifted by the Lord and empowered by the Lord, and then uh, help us to send them, uh, whether that's into leadership here at All Souls in uh, keeping their job exactly the same, whether that is going to be Bible teacher somewhere in the UK, somewhere around the world. Um, just as a tiny application of Acts 13, would you join me in praying for Wanyaki as he does that? Uh, of course, as you pray, I don't know whether Barnabas and Saul were praying, 
uh, in that prayer meeting as they worshipped and prayed. As you pray, it might be you that Wanyeki taps on the shoulder. Uh, it might be you who could be the Lord's chosen instrument uh, to some other part of the world or some community in London. Uh, who'd have thought just a church, just Antioch, and yet it is unstoppable. And then, uh, quite briefly, just a word. All they do really is go and speak everywhere that they go. Um, and in Acts, that is a big deal. I told you earlier there's only one hero in the book of Acts. Um, actually, let me also say there are only two heroes in the book of Acts. And again, they are not the people you might think they are. Uh, not Peter, not Paul. Um, the two heroes in the book of Acts are the Word and the Church. In other words, the, the two things that happen, the two active agents. You can see one of those verses on page 1107. Um, this is how Luke marks each new section in his book. Uh, and each time, see it alternates, you get something about the Word. 12 verse 24, it continued to spread and to flourish. Uh, and it alternates either the word or the church was built up and multiplied. Or the word grew and multiplied. Or the church was strengthened and grew. Or the word grew and strengthened. Um, it's a totally unembarrassed, uh, confident story of growth and success, really. Uh, the, um, the strategy is just teach the words. Start churches, um, and what you start will not be just a church, uh, and what you say will not be just a word, because this is the news about Jesus Christ, which is um, better news than they have at the BBC. Uh, and it is news that people desperately need to hear, isn't it? Uh, London is not a happy place that has no need of Jesus. Uh, our world is not, you know, sorted and going fine. Uh, the, the BBC comedy at the end of the year, um, they said, what would we, what would we need for 2024 to be a better year than 2023? Recommendation, maybe just if, if all of us would do nothing at all in 2024, then it would be better. It's quite a miserable start to the year, isn't it? Uh, and yet, uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus that transforms people and changes people and brings communities together despite conflicts. Um, the word that London needs. Who would have thought? Uh, just an instrument, just a church, just a word. And we have the same. Uh, we, we have the words of Paul, literally. Uh, we have um, a church that can pray. Uh, we have the uh, words of uh, Jesus, the message about him. Uh, we have God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit with us. Um, so why give up? Why really? And let me just turn you to the end of chapter 14 to give you a flavor of where we'll be in this series. Chapter 14, verse 27. Um, we're going to learn two things across this series. Um, one is, verse 27 of chapter 14, that the gospel is always successful. And they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. The door is open. Uh, people are becoming Christians, even in London, uh, certainly around the world. But uh, there's another angle, verse 22. 
It's the other thing we will learn. And we've seen it already with uh, Bar-Jesus. They strengthened disciples, encouraged them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Um, We don't actually have a resource problem or a success problem or a power problem. Um, The gospel is going out. The door is open. People are hearing But everywhere the gospel goes out, it goes out with suffering. Uh, You're right that the the word might not be welcome uh, on your Thursday night, on your Monday morning. Um, And what we're here to see is actually what happens when you tell people anyway, despite that. Uh, Whoever you are, just an instrument, just from a ropey old church, uh, with just these words that the Lord Jesus has committed to us. Uh, Let's pray. Well, let's begin praying and then pray for this all year. Thank you.